This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. All right. So you've seen this little sign around our church. I just want to explain what it means. It means that circles are better than rows, and it doesn't mean that rows aren't important. They are. When we sit in rows, we're taught and we learn. But when we sit in circles... We share and we change. That makes sense? And so both are really important. And if you're not part of a small group in our church, for your sake, I would just love for you to have that experience where you sit in a circle with people that you get to know well and you share about what's going on in your life and you learn the principles that we're talking about here, and then you share together ideas for what a difference that can make in your life and how you can live it out. So uh, we are in open enrollment right now. If you want to enroll, find somebody that has a the handsome shirt like this. Don't you like this shirt? Yeah, there you go. You're going to get to see it next week too. So there, you better like it, all right? Um, and they will help you get signed up. All of our signups are online We did something else this week. We added a bunch of tags to groups. So if you go to to our website and you pull up the the groups tab and click on available groups, you can search by groups that meet meet on weekdays, groups that meet in the evening, groups that are for women, groups that are for men, groups that are for parents, all different kinds of tags that you can actually search by. Uh, So hopefully it's a lot more functional. We're learning a little bit more every week. So there you go. Um, let's talk about sacred spaces. Well, let's have a hand for Justin. Thank you, Justin. Um, let's talk about sacred spaces. I want to start with a question that I know you have asked yourself in the last little bit. Why is our world so polarized? Huh? Virtually every time, do you cringe when you watch a political debate? I do. When it's done, I go, that is brutal. Why is the world so tribalized? I loved what Darby said. Can you imagine a world filled with tribes and they all get along? And we we all laugh because, yeah, that's make-believe for us. And yet, when you look at, and I'm not just talking about politically divided, I'm talking about 50% of our marriages end up polarized and divided. And listen, no guilt for anyone who's gone through a divorce. This is not about that. I'm much more concerned about the marriage you're currently in. Because let's work together to make sure it doesn't end up divided. Where does that come from? Because there is something inside us Finish this statement. And they lived, what's next? Yes. Because there's something on the inside of us that knows that when life is right, that's how it looks. But when life is wrong, it looks all polarized. And we sit here, as Diva described in little old Petaluma, and think, how can we change the world? Because there's no doubt in any of our minds, that it needs changing. 
And I love what Dr. Krish Kendaya, who recently spoke at the Global Leadership Summit that we hosted here about a month ago. I love one of the things that he said. He said, few people have the opportunity or ability to change the world, but everyone has an obligation to what? Change their world. Wow. So that's what we want to press into. And I would like to suggest that one of the solutions and perhaps the bedrock principle that we are losing sight of in our world is this idea of sacred spaces. Have you ever heard someone or caught yourself saying, my, 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 nothing seems to be sacred anymore. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. Somebody's messing with everything. Huh. I want you to think in your mind of the home that you grew up in, and I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the home you grew up in, there was a sacred space. Something you didn't mess with under any circumstances. It might have been your dad's recliner. And you knew when dad walked in the door, you got out. Because that was his sacred space. Well, I'll tell you a little story out of my life. I grew up, I know, isn't that great? I grew up in a home where we didn't have much money. And there were very few really nice things in our home. But someone had given my mom an antique bowl and pitcher set that looks exactly like that. And the bowl was like this big around and the pitcher was that tall. It was big. And it was beautiful. And when she got it, she put it on the nightstand right beside her bed. And she got my older brother and I into the bedroom. And she said, don't you touch that. We didn't have to ask what that meant. We knew that is a sacred space. So we didn't. She had also told us not to play basketball in the house. We obeyed the first part, but not the second. And my brother and I were in a different room dribbling a basketball and trying to steal it from each other when we heard a horrible crash. And we went into my mom and dad's bedroom and there was that beautiful bowl and pitcher smashed to pieces on the floor because the dribbling of the basketball had vibrated it off. Yeah. My parents still love us. (laughs) That's a miracle, right? My mom still loves me. That's a miracle too, all right? So you don't have to worry about that relationship. Uh, There was, can I say, a little hell to pay for that. Um, So what does sacred mean? When we talk about sacred spaces, it's very important that we understand what sacred means. So I just went to the dictionary and looked it up. And the word sacred actually has three primary meanings, and they are all really, really important. And they all perfectly apply to the concept of sacred spaces. And here's what the word sacred means. It means belonging to God. It means to be treated with great respect. 
It means never to be infringed or dishonored in any way. So when something is sacred, it means all three of those put together. Now in our last series called The Jesus Effect, we talked about the fact that Jesus brings this lens that enables us to see things differently. And so um, I want you to think about a pair of glasses that would have the Jesus effect. And the amazing thing is, when we allow Jesus to bring that lens to our lives, we end up seeing sacred spaces where other people never see them. Where we couldn't see them without him. And we end up understanding that marriage is actually a sacred space. Listen to me carefully. That means that marriage belongs to God. It's not up to us to do with it what we want to. It means that family belongs to God. It means that even when you correct your children and instruct your children, these things might be under your control and they might be considered your possessions, but they don't really belong to you. They belong to God. They are to be treated with respect. And they are never, under any circumstances, ever to be infringed on or dishonored. Now, imagine if in a political debate, each of the candidates viewed the other person as a sacred space that belongs to God, is to be treated with respect, and is never to be dishonored. It might change the tone of the debate, don't you think? Yeah, because I would would suggest to us that in many ways, as a culture, we have lost sight of what sacred space is supposed to be. Jesus, in his final prayer, before he left and ascended to heaven, pray this. I pray, speaking of you and me, I pray that they all will be what? One. And I can assure you, without the concept of sacred spaces, there is absolutely no way that you and I could ever be unified into a single group of people who have great love for each other and great love for everyone else in our world. Which brings up a very interesting question. What is the foundation of these sacred spaces? What are they built on and what are they built of? And that's really what we're going to press into over the next three weeks. And today, I'm just going to lay a general foundation that everything else will flow out of. And so it's really important that you get the one concept that we're going to learn today because it is life-changing. And though it's simple, it's not easy. Simple to understand, but very profound in how it changes our life. So if we go to the very first page of the Bible, here's what God said. God said, let us make human beings in our image reflecting our nature. Now, there are some very profound conclusions that can be drawn from that. 
Here's what that means. If you and I bear the image of God himself, and if you and I reflect in our core, we reflect the very nature of God, then it means that you and I are inherently sacred. You don't have to earn it. You were created inherently sacred. Wow. That means this. It means that you are inherently worthy. You are inherently worthy of being treated well. You are inherently worthy of being respected. You are inherently worthy of being honored. It means that you are inherently honorable. It means that you are inherently a treasure. It means that you are inherently sacred. And what does that mean? It means you belong to God. You are to be treated with great respect. You are never to be infringed or dishonored in any way. It's not the whole point of what I'm teaching you. But I want you to hear this. This is why if you're ever in a situation where you are being abused, you owe it to yourself to get out. You are allowing someone to take your sacredness away from you. That's not okay. That's never okay. If your children are being abused, you owe it to them to get them out of that circumstance. Even if you're married to their abuser, you owe it to them. Do not allow someone you're married to to steal your child's sacredness. Do you hear that? Yeah. That's serious stuff. Because your children are inherently sacred. They belong to God. They are to be treated with great respect. Listen, parents, it's for free. It's not actually in my notes. But but when you have to correct your children, never belittle them, ever. When you do, you steal a piece of their sacredness because you dishonored them. You correct and instruct them with great respect for them. If you don't know how to do that, we can help you with that. Okay? This is why when you yell at your children, you are yelling at God's property. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I want you to change what goes on on the inside. Because here's the truth today. The sacredness of every human being is the foundation upon which every sacred space rests. It's the sacredness of every human being. So I want to illustrate this. And we have a bunch of diagrams, so here you go. And be glad I didn't bring out the flip chart and try to draw it. All right, here we go. It's a little more professional. So we have a typical family here. We have a dad, a mom, and we got 
2.3 kids, but I didn't know how to do a point three, so I just put another whole kid up there, all right? So we have a dad and a mom and three kids, all right? And let's just assume that this family goes to church and they want their family to be sacred. So how are they going to make this a sacred space? Is it, are they going to read the Bible every day to their kids? Listen, that's an awesome thing to do and a wonderful thing to do. But I can show you tons of people who read their Bible every day to their kids and their family is not a sacred space. Yeah. Is it praying every day with your kids? That's a great thing to do. But I can show you people who pray every day with their kids and that family is not a sacred space. I wouldn't want to live in it. Go to church every Sunday. That's a good thing too. But that won't make your family sacred. Because you and I both know we've all been in the car and fought on the way to church and then smiled once we got there, right? Because you know what? We left an unsacred space and walked into a sacred one. We admitted that our family wasn't all that sacred. There's only one way that this family can be sacred, and here it is. It's when everyone in that family understands and treats everyone else in that family as if they were a sacred human being created by God and owned by Him and to be treated with great respect and never to be infringed and never to be dishonored. And when they do that, when they read the Bible, it actually does way more for them. When they pray, it does way more for them. When they go to church, it does way more for them because it's not in the reading of the Bible or praying or going to church that makes it a sacred family. It's when everyone in the family realizes that we are all sacred. I want to illustrate this out of the life of Jesus. Master teacher, easily the most influential person who's ever lived. And I want to tell you a story. And the story is, is about, um, it's about a guy by the name of Matthew. And let's see if we can put a little skin on this story. Because Matthew, the Bible says, is a tax collector. And if you grew up in church, well, yeah, I know what that means. It means he's, you know, one of the sinners and nobody liked him. No, no, no. It was not easy. To become a tax collector. It was hard. It was painful. I don't know a lot about Matthew's background. But I do know this. In order to be a tax collector. You had to become a traitor to your country. No one makes that decision lightly. But it's way worse than that. In order to become a tax collector, you had to be willing to be disowned by your family. And you had to be willing to be disowned by any of your friends. So what was it that would cause Matthew to become a tax collector? Do you think it was greed? I don't think so. I think Matthew grew up in a place that was so painful and so dark and he felt so marginalized 
that when the opportunity to become a tax collector presented itself, it didn't seem all that bad to him because he was probably already marginalized by his family. He was probably already marginalized by society. He probably didn't have that many friends. And he probably figured out, if I'm going to be an outcast, I might as well get paid for it. And Matthew knew that once you made that choice, there was no going back. That was a one-way decision. Until Jesus. Jesus alone offered a way back. And one day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he happened to be passing by a booth or a kiosk or, I don't know, some little structure that Matthew had built, and it was for the purpose of collecting taxes. And Matthew was in his little booth, and he was collecting taxes, basically cheating and swindling people, because here's how taxes worked. You think our taxes system might be a little corrupt? Try this one. Rome says, you collect out of people whatever you can, and we'll exact a charge from you, and you can keep whatever's left over. And Matthew said, I'm in. So he was out collecting taxes. Jesus is walking by, and he says to Matthew, hey, Matthew, why don't you come and follow me? And to everyone's complete surprise, Matthew folds up his little kiosk, takes his cash, and goes to follow Jesus. Let's put a pin in that for a minute. Now let's jump into Peter, Andrew, James, and John's shoes for a minute. What did Jesus just do? He said to a tax collector, why don't you come and join my group? Peter's going, not this one. Are you kidding me? Jesus, you're a rabbi. <laughs> How far do you think you're going to get it with a rabbi, as a rabbi with one of those dudes in your entourage? This is awful. You talk about an awkward moment. Man, there they go walking down the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he, these guys are used to, you know, being in behind Jesus. Where do you think Matthew might have walked on that walk? Think he was right up next to Jesus? Are you kidding? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I'm sure, were sucked right up behind Jesus and trying to act like they didn't know that guy. And they're thinking... It can't get any worse than this. It just can't. Everything we had dreamed for Jesus, that, that deal about you being the Messiah, well, if you invite him in, you could kiss that goodbye. That's never going to happen. And just when they thought it couldn't be worse, take a look at the next verse. Matthew gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. And everybody... Pause right there. I love what Darby said. I love what that song that Spike wrote about a seat at the table. There's room for everybody there. Everybody was there. And then there's this little descriptor. Taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests. 
just when Peter, Andrew, James, and John thought it couldn't get worse, it did. Now they're sitting at a table surrounded by these people. And they think, oh, it can't get any worse than that. It did. The next verse says, Then the Pharisees came to his followers. By now they knew, you don't ask Jesus. So they go pick on his followers. And they said, what is he doing? Eating and drinking with crooks and sinners. It's such an interesting insight into the narratives that we write about people. Here's a little diagram to show you what's going on. So you can see Matthew, he's right in the middle. You can see the two Pharisees up there and you can see Jesus at the bottom. Okay? And the Pharisees have written a narrative about Matthew that he is, first of all, a crook. Did they have a good reason to believe that? Of course they did. His job was cheating people. That's what he was hired to do. He's a crook. That's all we need to know about him. He sold out his country. He sold out his family. He sold out all of his friends. He sold out his faith. He sold out his religion. And he did it all so he could cheat and swindle people out of money that was rightfully theirs. I don't need to know anything more about Matthew. That dude is a crook. The other Pharisee goes, well, he's a sinner. Now, if he would do that out in the light at a booth where everybody can see him, imagine the other things he does. Yeah, he's just a sinner. So they didn't have to treat him with respect. They didn't have to honor him. They didn't view him as belonging to God. So Jesus walks along and says, hey, come and follow me. Because Jesus saw Matthew as sacred. Messed up, but sacred. In the wrong, but sacred. Sinning, but sacred. A crook, but sacred. Remember those glasses that we talked about Jesus giving us? Listen. When you begin to see the world as Jesus sees the world, you will look past what people do to who people are. They are the children of God. Matthew the person is so different from Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector was just the public version of Matthew that was his response to the junk that had happened in his life and the only way he knew how to survive. But Matthew the person was underneath all that junk, was sacred. But you know, there was more than that going on here. Because look at this. Jesus not only looked at Matthew that way, he looked at the Pharisees that way. He saw them as messed up, but sacred. You see, when we understand the sacredness of every human being, it allows us 
to respectfully disagree. And in the middle of our disagreements, to remain unified and together. One of my favorite pictures of our church is this. By the way, I have a disclaimer to make, okay? I have no idea who these vehicles are. So if one of them is yours, you can relax. You're a hero. You'll see that in a minute, all right? And, and, if, and if you want to come and tell me afterwards, I'm okay with that too because you might be sitting here. This is one of my favorite pictures of our church because this is two Priuses parked side by side, okay? And since they're Priuses, we can make some assumptions. We can, we can make the assumption that they share some values in life. For instance, they're probably both economical people because they bought a vehicle that gets like 500 miles to the gallon. <laughs> and they're probably proud of that, okay? We can assume that maybe they're ecologically minded and they care about the environment because they bought a vehicle that runs mostly on electric power, on a renewable energy. These are obviously good and wonderful people. Now, if you look in the background, there aren't very many cars there. This is not a church service. They are here because they're working on a team, one of our teams in the church. They're doing some form of service together, so they're working side by side. But what makes this picture really interesting is we have to zoom in a little bit. So let's zoom into the vehicle on the right, and it has a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker says, I voted for Obama. Okay? So we know a little about where their political leanings might be. Now, if we zoom in to the vehicle on the left, it has a bumper sticker that says, how's that hope and change working for you? <laughs> you know what I love about that? They both come to the same church. They both work in the same team. They are partners together side by side in life, and they are treating each other as they are sacred, and they can disagree respectfully. Yeah. As we close, I want to share a passage. It's from the lips of Jesus. I know it's one you've heard, even if you haven't been to church before ever, okay? You probably heard this passage of Scripture. This is how much God loved the world. We'll come back to that in a minute. He gave His Son... His one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. Rather, by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Going back to this slide. The word world. In the original language, this was written in, in Greek. In the original language, the word for world is cosmos, from which we get the word cosmetics. It doesn't refer to a round ball with chunks of land and big oceans on it. It doesn't refer to a mass of people. It actually refers to an order or a system or a beauty which is why we get cosmetics from it. When God looks at the world, he doesn't see a bunch of sinners. He sees the beauty of people.
people who bear his image. He sees people who reflect his nature. He sees people who belong to him. Who are worthy, inherently worthy of great respect. And who are never to be infringed or to be dishonored. And God looks at that and he says, that is worth dying for. God saw you. Not just what you did. Not just what you're doing. Not just the attitude you're currently having. God sees you. The sacred you. And God sees that it's covered up with mess. And we all got it, right? I think in some ways, if you were to draw a picture of our lives, we would all be pig pins in the Charlie Brown thing. We got this little cloud of dust that follows us everywhere we go because we've got enough mess. We all carry it with us. And yet God sees through the cloud of dust. And he sees pig pen. He sees them. And says, that guy's sacred. That guy's sacred. Here's the truth. When I became a follower of Jesus, I forfeited the right to choose who I would respect. Are you on board with that? Yeah. That's what we've been called to. It's such a great thing. It's such a great thing. So here's how we can practice it this week. I will intentionally and consciously write a narrative of sacredness about everyone in my world. Start on the drive home with the idiot who cuts you off. That's a sacred idiot to you. Got it? Yes. Start with the kids who are fighting in the backseat. Those are sacred fighting little kids to you. I will intentionally write a narrative of sacredness about every single person in my world. Friends, you and I may not be able to change the whole world, but we can change ours. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you look beyond our little cloud of personal dust and mess, and you saw the sacred us, and you said, that person is worth dying for. And you laid it all on the line for us. Would you give us grace now to go out and to treat everyone in our world with a sacred touch like you have touched us. I pray, Jesus, in your name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.